LinkedIn, like any social media, it's a marketing platform. Can you find people on there that you can sell to? Of course you can. The problem with it is people rely on it as a crutch. You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Benjamin Denehy, the UK most hated sales trainer. Here he is. I love your hat today. Uh, I've never never heard it said with a French accent before. My my name or my title. It sounds a lot better, actually. Most hated. I like the way you said that. (laughs) How are you today? I'm very well. Yes, it's, um, it's an overcast day here in England. Um, but other than that, uh, we are fine. Yes, it's good. all good. Good. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you accept to speak to me after the the rugby results from the weekend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, sad. Yeah. Yeah. I love. I love. I love to make the most of it because it's happening once every nine years. It's like a solar eclipse. Yes, it I'm, is. Wants to win the rugby against you guys. So yeah, I'm just gonna make the most of it this week and just. Kind of, <laughs> um, but today we will be speaking about sales and prospecting best practices. But before we get into the conversation, it would be wonderful if you could just tell us a little bit more about yourself, the the aura you are creating on LinkedIn and all the sort of things that you are doing. Uh, As I was saying to you in the preparation, you're a bit of a character. Lots of my team absolutely love your disruptive ideas and try to implement them. So yeah, if you could just give us a little bit of background about yourself, that'd be absolutely wonderful. Well, yeah, well, the, the first question people always ask me is how did you become the UK's most hated sales trader and the honest answer is simply this i made it up yeah there's there's no <laughs> international there's no international body that measures hatred towards sales traders right so i looked at i looked at linkedin and when i was setting out in this business i looked at linkedin and i thought what does anyone what, what, what do people call themselves if they're a sales leader or an expert what do they call themselves you go on linkedin and all they do is call themselves a guru, an expert, number one, top, professional, influence, and it's all, look at me, love me, love me, love me. And I thought, no one wants to be hated, which means there's an entire space, either not occupied or one I can create and occupy. And I thought, that's it. I'm going to become the UK's most hated sales trainer. Not loved, not adored, not best, hated. And then, of course, Trump came along. And he gave me the red hat, right? He had fake America, right? And I thought, oh, I'm nicking that, right? Because there are thousands of sales traders. Thousands. A very competitive industry. So I needed to stand out. And so that was my whole approach. Create a character that can be brutally blunt and honest. Because, again, most sales trainers aren't honest. In fact, most sales trainers can't even sell. Let's be blunt. Yeah? Yeah. So this was the whole image. Create a character that can be blunt, be honest, be truthful, be sort of in line with my personality, but also stand out from the crowd in a very crowded, competitive, noisy marketplace. And LinkedIn is just everybody screaming at each other. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you make a very valid point. The number of people that are – I don't mind the the term sort leader, but I think you can – you are a guru when people call you a guru. You are a sort leader when people call you a sort leader. The people who self-proclaim themselves thought leader usually don't tend to be the full thought leader. Mm. I think it's kind of a weird thing because it's, yeah, it's a, I'm a thought leader is is kind of a sentence that doesn't work. No, if, if you if you if you have to proclaim it, then you're probably not it. Yeah, exactly. 
And, and, and I'm strategy. I, I, when I started my strategy on LinkedIn, I actually said to myself, I can't call myself an expert. Other people have to. And I said, that's going to take years of producing content that people suddenly start to see as a source of truth and knowledge. And if you go through anything I've written, not once in the seven years I've been doing it, have I ever said I'm an expert, a leader, a guru, none of that. I've literally just stuck with it. And I've had people say, well, you claim to be a guru. It's actually, no, I don't. I've only ever claimed to be hated. And it's yeah. true. People call me a, a, an expert now. And that's where I wanted to get. You've got to demonstrate it by your behavior and what you do, not because I am, I say, therefore I am. Absolutely. Getting into the, the, the topic now. So as, as I mentioned to you, uh, Benjamin, we've got a few of our of a few of our team that are a big fan of what you're doing and, and they love some of the, 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 the snippets of information that they could catch and you know kind of use it use it in that day to day, which is wonderful. And and we've got one lady in particular, one lady who is one of our operation director. So she she runs a team of a team of around 35 going on to 45 people. Yeah. Uh, she's been very successful this year. In fact, probably one of our most successful operation director. And, and she, she gave me three questions for you. Okay, so let's I'm going to start. All right, let's go. Which is, at Operatics, we generally don't hire ready-made salespeople. We make them. Oh. What's your view on this? What, what, ah. What's your view on making salespeople? Okay, so it's a, it's, it's a somewhat slightly loaded question. And the reason I say that is anybody, if they wanted, could do sales. And this isn't rocket science, right? We're not designing nuclear reactors here. We are simply having conversations with people and trying to get them to discover they need what we have. So anybody could learn this. The difference between hiring someone that doesn't have a sales background and someone that maybe does is they've got less bad behavior to undo. So if you hire someone fresh out of university, they don't have this, oh, look, I've been doing this for three years. I know what I'm doing, right? So you don't have that. But... They still have the same head trash problems that most people in sales have. And it's a human flaw. It's not reserved for salespeople. It's the way we were brought up and we were taught a lot of rules that no one ever explained to us don't apply as an adult. And, an, and, and, and so a graduate has those beliefs. So I've never met a salesman that lacks confidence. And that's the number one thing everyone says to me. I wish my guys just had a little bit more confidence. You know, I hear them on the phone and they just need to, a little bit... It's not confidence. It's belief. And the reason is, is they believe they're not allowed to behave or act a certain way. They believe they have to behave or act a certain way as well. They believe that the person they're calling is better than them. They believe that the person they're calling is more authoritative than them. They believe they have to answer a question. They believe they're not allowed a challenge. They believe they have to be take the shit that's dumped on them when someone's rude. Yet they don't believe they can do a lot of things. So their beliefs determine their behavior and their behavior directly correlates to their confidence level so the answer is yes and no hire you do make salespeople, but they've all got the same head trash it's easier to train someone that hasn't got several years experience because then they've got to unlearn crappy sales behavior they probably learned from someone that was pretty average in the first place it's, a, it's an interesting topic because you know you, you're right you, you've got to look at core competencies and core skills and like it's like peeling the onion. That's what yeah, some yeah. people say. It's like you've got to look at the values versus looking at the experience. But yeah, it, there is nothing worse than someone coming in for the first six months of their career. Say, so, oh, in my previous company, we used to do it like that. Yeah, yeah we used to do it like that. And uh, and and that that's something that we, we can feel sometimes. The second question is around LinkedIn. So you, you're very active on LinkedIn. Yes. Um, but what are your thoughts on LinkedIn prospecting? 
<laughs> right. So uh, this is interesting. LinkedIn, like any social media or TV or radio, it's a marketing platform. I see it purely as marketing and advertising. It is a place to pump out content. Now, can you find people on there that you can sell to? Of course you can, because it's a modern yellow pages or a phone book, right? Everybody you want to talk to is in there. The problem with it is people rely on it as a crutch, and they see it as an excuse not to actually engage with people on the phone. And I was just talking to a sales manager this morning, and he said they use LinkedIn, and they take 15 minutes before they pick up the phone. I've got to research the guy, I've got to do it. So LinkedIn, because there's such a vast knowledge of information, people feel they've got to absorb it. It goes back to a belief. They believe they need to know a lot about the person or the company they're calling in order to phone them. That's not true. So LinkedIn sort of enables behavior of procrastinating, dithering, and putting off. If you just had a list of CEOs with their phone number and said, phone them, they freak out. It's like, why? Why, why? why do you need to know the size of the company? These, this list has been chosen for you. As a business, we know these are people you should talk to. Just phone them. But, but, but I need to know what he eats for breakfast. And I, I, need to, I need to have some sort of personal connection. No, no, you don't. Pick up the phone. So LinkedIn can become a crutch. And, hide, and people hide behind it. Yeah, and, and that's interesting. So the, the, um, I think there is definitely something with call reluctance as, uh, oh, yeah. and, and, and probably more with, uh, with newer generation uh, because I think people are maybe a little bit more used to text each other versus calling each other. And, and texting or sending an email or sending something or sending a connection on LinkedIn seems to be like, a, like an act of prospection. But, you know, the number of connections I receive, well, uh, just speaking to some of the, the guys in my team, I say, if you send me a connection request and I don't know you, I'm not going to look at your profile trying to figure out why you want to connect with me. At least put a couple of sentences and tell me that you want to sell me something and I will accept you because at least you've made the effort of telling me why you want to do so. And I will respond to say, I, I need it or I don't need it or someone else in my team is the person you should contact. But there is nothing more frustrating that the kind of half activity of just the, the lazy activity of just sending a connection request. Now, yeah. one thing that I'd like to, to debate a little bit with you is that do you think and I appreciate that for some solution is relatively straightforward because you've got a product, it's commodity. I'm selling uh, storage or I'm selling endpoint security or I'm selling cars or mobile phone. That's straightforward. This is commodity. I've got one. Everybody's got one. I will need to replace it at some point. So for that, you, you can really bang the phone and go without doing pretty much any research. But for the more disruptive, um, more complex, where you may want to use a bit of sales navigator to understand the size of their team. So you can tell them, well, look, if you've got 15 salespeople, we could probably, and I've been looking at Glassdoor and you pay them around 100K. So uh, we do 20% more productivity. So we could give you that much money back every year. You know, kind of preparing something a bit more tailored. Do you see value in using LinkedIn for that more tailored type of approach? Or do you still think it's, it's something that should be given to the BDRs? Because I guess your point is not against using listing. LinkedIn is more like the, the wasting time or trying time to... Time wasted. So I have no problem with every Monday, at the beginning of every month, if they spent the day doing nothing but researching LinkedIn, getting the names and the contacts, and then sticking it into a spreadsheet. And then for the rest of the month, they just phone. But they don't do that. They do this every day between phone calls. They then look through someone. And it's like, no, no, you should have a list ready to go. You shouldn't have to do any research or prep every day. So I used to do that. I would, I would get a list of 100 people 
And for, to speak to 100 people on the phone is going to take several months. So I don't have to keep refreshing my list. I get through month month and maybe I speak to 10 people. All I do is add another 10 people at the beginning of the next month and I've got 100 again. And so what frustrates me is salespeople, they find an excuse. And the reason they don't like calling is they, they fear being rejected. They don't like the feeling. And a lot of the time they're phoning people that they believe are better than them. They're phoning grown-ups with proper jobs, probably got mortgages and like a, a, a boat or something. And so then as they're on the phone, their mother whispers in their ear, what are you going to say to him when you get through? Mm. And they freak out. And then they find a reason. I'll tell you what, I'll send him an email. Because that way, at least I can't upset him. Absolutely. And and there is that thing where you probably, you can see it on the face of some people where they're probably dialing someone and they're like, oh, shit, don't pick up. Don't pick up. Oh, he picked up. All right. Right. And then they're like here in headlights and they free ah, 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 ah. And then they start incomprehensible vomiting and then they wonder why people get annoyed or rude with them. So how, how do we prepare them? Because I, I agree with you. I think, you know, the, the, the BDRSDR should be focusing on making the activity. But unfortunately, sometimes the data is not there. You know, the, you can't just get the data. Like In the US, it's probably much easier with Zoom Info, Seamless, and all the sort yeah. of the companies that prepare everything. In Europe, there is some database companies, but, you know, they're a bit hit and miss from our perspective. You know, that's just our opinion. Uh, and it's much more difficult to find the right data in Europe. So uh, how do you suggest it, who should do it? Who should support the BDRs in actually kind of going through that that data? Uh, yeah, I suppose this is figuring out what that So ideally, you'd be able to give the data to your salespeople and it's ready to go. That's in an ideal world, right? Uh, unfortunately, we don't live in an ideal world. And sometimes mm-hmm. salespeople are going to have to use a bit of now. So a lot of when I was in this game, I didn't know a lot of the people I wanted to talk. I started off by setting appointments for advertising agencies in London. And they said, I want to get in front of the brand director for Pepsi. So I've got to figure out who the brand director for Pepsi is. Does it a quick Google search, you'll get a name. But the name could be two years old. But I got a name. So what they got to do is learn techniques. And I will deliberately. So if you know you need to speak to the owner of a company, it's not hard to figure that out, right? So I would phone up and I'd make up a name. And i go, can I speak with Aurelian, please? Yeah, And they go, there's no Aurelian here. I go, I think you'll find there is. And they go, no, there isn't. I go, he's your managing director. And when I do that, they correct me. They go, no, our managing director is Peter Wilson. Thank you. <laughs> now yeah. I've got the name. I can phone back a day later and ask to speak with Peter. So there were all these techniques. I would, um, would particularly when phoning big multinationals, Coca-Cola was a classic, trying to get through to the direct line of a director at Coke. But I was able to figure out the last four digits on the phone number were the one I had to fiddle with. So I just dialed 3001, 3002, 3003. Then you worked out the executive street was 34 whatever. I would get through like that. So you have to be quite tenacious and creative. Now, there are two types of salespeople. Those that are hungry to do that and achieve and those that expect to be spoon-fed. One are winners. The other are what I call um, they're adjusters, you know, just got by in life and just yeah. targeting. Just- I used to be the, I used to do it. We used to call it the phone roulette where we could not find the right person. It's like a no name, no mobile phone switchboard. And you're like, okay, well, your switchboard finished by 4,000. So let's do 4099, 4077. And then you find someone who's like, well, can I speak to that person? I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, I'm, 
I'm in procurement. Yeah, I have yeah. no idea what that person is. Well, could you look them up in the directory? Because I was given the number. I have I I I did write it down, but I mean, and they just they just tell they me give the you the not exactly. It's a bit cheeky. It's a bit cheeky, but that's what we used to do in the good old days. It was actually quite fun because you know you've got the other guys around you that are kind of listening to you, and everybody. He actually yeah. he, you develop kind of an interesting. Um, it's almost humoristic in the way because it, it, you, you do it with a bit of fun, and you're not trying to do anything bad either. At the end of the day, you know, it's just it's just trying to get through to the right person. I used to do all of that, and I mean, and because I was chasing big characters, I'd finally get through to say a bit. I'd finally get through to the brand director for Coca Cola for all of you know UK or Europe. You know, it's a bit top person to get through to. And the moment they'd answer, I would, and he'd answer it. Aurelia, Aurelia, I said, look, Aurelian, I'm going to be up front with you. You are my white whale of marketing. And I have been hunting you across the Pacific for the last three months. This is my moment to sink a harpoon in. Can I have 30 seconds? They'd all laugh. And they'd let me do my bit. They'd either say, you know what, Benjamin, no interest, happy. Or I'll tell you what, Benjamin, I quite like your approach. I'm happy to have a meeting with you. Yeah. Done. And my clients used to all say, how do you do it? How do you get people just so relaxed? Because I don't sound like a salesman. I don't act like a salesman. I'm not scared of the people I'm phoning. I'm not scared to phone them. I know I'm allowed to interrupt them. I know I'm allowed to talk to strangers. I know yeah. I can do this. So it's yeah. getting salespeople to appreciate that, but they don't. So that's kind of leading me to, to a question from uh, Joe Graves with uh, our head of training and development, who's also a, a big fan of yours. And, and, and his question was around, you know, do you have any very specific way of getting into a cold call? And, and what's your method and what do you find effective? Unless you just give us a, a clear example there. So what is it? Is it, is it humor? Is it, is it like going to a girl at a bar and just being very different? Is saying, can I get you a drink? Just coming up with something a little bit more, like a bit more woof? What's the, yes, so what's the ticket here? You have to, first of all, you, you have to stand out and you've got to say something. It's, 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 psychiatrists call it, they call it a pattern interrupt. It's where you say or do something that's unexpected, so it shakes them out of their malaise. Now, you are going to – this is the thing with prospecting. You don't know what the mood or what's happened to the person you're calling in the 30 seconds prior. So you will meet people that are miserable and angry because they've had a crap day. So sometimes it will bomb. But most of the time, most people are normal and civil. So you do what's called a pattern interrupt. And, a pattern, and I've got numerous pattern interrupts I've used. But one of my favorite is disarming honesty. It's a great disarming. The quickest way to build trust with a stranger is disarming honesty. So as soon as the CEO answers, I go, look, Aurelian, you are going to hate me. This is a sales call. So do you want to hang up? Well, let me have 30 seconds. Now, there's a psychology behind this. I know that if I give somebody a command or an order, human nature is to rebel. They do, people do not like to be told what to do. You go to the museum and it says, do not touch. What does everybody do? Just tax it. <laughs> oh, no, just got to touch it, right? Or don't stand on the grass. And everyone just dips yes, their yes. toe in. Yeah. Humans are rebellious. They hate. So when you get through to a decision maker and the first thing you say is, do you want to hang up? Instinctively, they go, no. And I got him where I want him. This is, not a, this is no longer an unsolicited phone call. He's actually given me permission to talk to him. So I, I try and prompt them. I will, depending on what sector, so currency traders or recruiters, they're not particularly liked because they're so 
vociferous on the phone. They're always on the phone, these people. So they have a reputation. So I would start phoning up and when I was doing it for them, I'd say, I'll be up front. If I told you, if I told you this call was about currency or recruitment, would a little piece of you die? And then they'd go, oh, yes, yes. And rather than justify, go, why does everybody say that? And then they vent. Oh, I hate you guys. You got blue. And, and once they finish venting, venting's like a good vomit. You feel better. <laughs> and in that moment, I've got them where I need them. Psychologically, they're comfortable with me. And then I go, look, I bet all those calls are rubbish too. They are. If I guarantee the next 30 seconds will be different, will you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. You know, so, it's, yes. all come down, it's all come down to a really, really high level of confidence. And, and and comfort with yourself as a person, comfort in your in your approach, and comfort in your in your also in your sense of humor. And I think you know, kind of people can get, kind of get that, and I think that's okay. But coming back to one of the points that you are making earlier on, we take that analogy of um, it's very difficult to contact someone and try to sell something that you don't really understand how it works, or you don't really yeah. understand the product, or you don't understand, you know. So you almost need to find a way in our book at least that's what we believe is is true to convince the sales rep that everybody should get one so if, if I, I, i'm a firm believer if you've got a sales rep that is just about to make a cold call and they truly believe that that cold call will help the person at the other end that it's actually going to be the good news of the day for them and in fact we could just really change their life make them get a promotion or whatever that completely changed the mood of the call it's very difficult to put in practice because some of the product and you know we, we cover a lot of clients and some clients are very straightforward. Some of those are very disruptive with technology that are relatively te technical. Yep. So you, first of all, you don't know who to target. You don't know if it's DMD or the end of the brand or whatever. It's, it's lots of different people. But then when you get to it, the use case can be different, if you will. So yes. do you have tactics to kind of make the sales people at ease? Because again, I think what you are doing is is brilliant, but it, it, you need you can't do it with nerves, right? So, so first of all, yes, confidence. So, a, a, a salesman. Somebody asked me, is it art or science? I said it's both. It's theatre. A salesman is like a great actor. They can memorize their lines. They can know the whole movie inside out, so they know where it's going and what's going to happen, who's going to say what. But they're also able to act in the moment, and so you have to be a great actor and a great communicator, and you've got to marry the two together. Confidence comes when you believe in what you sell. Now, if you're picking up the phone and you don't believe in what you're selling, then it's never going to work. Secondly, if you don't think that this is the best call that that person's going to take all day, if they have problems you fix, you shouldn't be making the call. The other thing you've got to do is ask the average salesman, what do we fix? And most will look at you blankly. And now what they'll do is they'll start talking about how you do what you do and what you do. They so, said, no, 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 I didn't say what do we do or how do we do. I said, what do we fix? And in that moment, your salesman will realize, I don't understand my prospect. If I can't talk about what we fix, I'll never be able to engage them. So when you pick up the phone, it's not to talk at them about you or what you do or how you do it. It's what do I say to this person that's going to make them realize I'm talking about his or her world? So I can't phone up and sell in sales training because no one buys sales training. What they do buy is, Aurelian, are you frustrated that you've got sales guys that are reluctant or not motivated to pick up the phone? 
Are you worried that when they do, they sound a bit weak and a bit limp-wristed and you think, I would never buy from them? Or thirdly, is your biggest fear that when they get in front of people, they're just too quick to discount? I get the feeling you're going to tell me you don't recognize that, though. Mm. And then all you say is, no, no, I recognize that. Now I'm in your world. 100%. percent yeah. I just took a note about uh, make the believe in, uh, in, in, in what they sell. We, uh, it's like everything. I think you know, there is a bit of preparation. Uh, up front to get the people ready uh, and it's important to um it's important to to be able to articulate that and 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 I also completely agree with you in fact one example that I would give you is um we we often ask well pr- pretty much consistently ask in fact uh, to our clients as part of our kickoff process what is the value of spending one hour with you in a meeting room as a, as, a, as a vendor, okay, as a, as a technology vendor or service vendor, whatever, what's the value? What would the prospect get out of it? The reason why we've done that is because pre-COVID, we used to do a lot of face-to-face meetings and face-to-face meetings were quite good in terms of, uh, you know, people, if they invite you to their office, they won't not turn up. Calls, people don't turn up to calls. It's kind of okay not to turn up to calls and then yeah. send something, some excuses about a car crash or a dog or you know, the gardener being there, the Amazon guy was there, or people just turn up into the call literally 10 minutes after the call started, yeah. which again is, oh yeah, I just run, you know, run over with the other call. So what we're trying to do through asking that question is really explaining the value of the meeting. So people, and, and, and then make sure that we can articulate that also in an email, in a follow-up, in, the, in the, the agenda. So people don't forget about it and still want to come. But to your point, like asking the sales guy, what's, why, why the product, what, what are the benefits? Sometimes when you ask the question, so what, what would the prospect get out of one hour? It's like, well, they, they get a demo. All right, but what would they learn? How would you change their life? What can they, if they don't buy your stuff, which is likely that you know, 90% won't, 95% won't, what are they going to get away with it? What, 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 what would, what, what, sorry, what are they going to get away with that they can bring to their board, to their peers, to... What's the learning? Are you going to share some industry stuff? And most of our clients, not all of them, but I would say probably 40% actually struggle to articulate that. So we have to help them to articulate that value. And that's also so important because imagine you are the BDR and your job is to book a meeting. If you don't know the value of something you are doing, if you don't know the big why, why the meeting, if, if, if that's yeah. not clear for you, how do you want to convince someone to take it? So... I think it's a very interesting uh, line of thoughts around the, creating that perception of that person cannot say no to me. And if that person reject me and say no to me, they either do it very, very rudely. And that's fine. I'm going to move on. I'm going to try them away again in two weeks time when they probably feel better. Or I'm going to take a, a clever answer from them, a, a, a real intelligent why not? Because a why not is as good as let's go for a meeting. Understanding why someone doesn't want to meet with you is, can actually save you time and money. So I really like that. Now, another question from Joe, which yeah. may be linked to the LinkedIn prospecting answer you gave me. I yeah. think Joe is kind of getting there with, with that question. So um, what is your opinion on CRMs for SDRs? Uh, right, well, again, CRMs can become a crutch because they spend so much time in. A CRM system like this is only as good as the data that goes into it. So it's only as good as the user. Again, CRM is used as an excuse not to pick up the phone because they get off the phone, got to put a message, left a voicemail, we'll try again. Now, now a minute, two minutes is gone. And it's a way to avoid getting straight back on the horse and phoning again. 
That's why I don't like them because, and then we, we tend to measure the wrong things as well. Sales managers, they measure number of dials. Number of dials is stupid because you make 60 dials that go nowhere. That's a stupid metric. Or say they make 60 dials and 10 people answer, but none of them buy. Well, what's the problem? So that so so measuring the right thing. So the CRM is a way, again, for salespeople. Whenever I go into a company and I say, okay, guys, let's make some calls. I want to hear you. Do you know how long it takes from those words leaving my mouth to someone actually making a phone call? I can honestly be sitting there for 10 minutes. So what is going on? And they're in the CRM system. Oh, I can't call him. No, no, not who. And it's, oh, just phone anyone. anyone just, just, I want to hear you. So, no, they are a bit of a crutch. I would say the only time you stick anything in the CRM is if you've spoken to a decision maker and I've said, we're not interested or call me in two weeks. But you don't need to put, I've left a voicemail, left a voice message, sent an email, tried to get in touch, but he wasn't in. This is all filler. Dial 10 people in a row, bang, 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 and then leave your notes because nine out of 10 of them won't go anywhere. Yeah. That's why you need to stop in between calls. So, no, CRM is important, but it's again, it's it's used as a mechanism to avoid calling. And if you're doing if you're at work for seven hours, say, and you're supposed to prospect for four of those, if you're only making 60 dials a day, you're doing a lot of farting about. Because 50 of those went to nowhere. So what did you do for the rest of the day? Uh, you know what? I've I've been asking like that line of thoughts is pretty much been my my day to day for the last 10 years you know it's i, I think there is one comment that you made about the the volume of activity being bullshit I, I can't agree more i think what you need to track you need to track the quality of what we're doing in in that prospecting world and the quality starts at the meaningful conversation how many meaningful conversations you've got because exactly. you want me to put a lot of activity look we're speaking now we are in the uk it's 237 237 237 p.m so, uh, uh, you know, in the afternoon, what's happening? Well, if you're a director of any sort, you're probably going to be in meeting until 5.30, 6 o'clock, potentially 6.30. If I want to grab you, calling you at this time is absolutely pointless. You are on a call with someone else like we are. We, you're doing something else. Or you are working on a project and your phone is on silence. You get the shit done, right? So the idea is, first of all, are you putting the activities in the right, you know, uh, uh, someone, the, the guy who wrote the fanatical prospecting, uh, exactly the the golden hours. Are you calling in the time when you can? Are you going fishing for that big white whale when it's actually a good time to go fishing? Yeah. Right. Or are you going fishing when there is no fishes in the pond and they're all sleeping? Exactly. Right? So you got to spend your time. You know, you can fish as much as you want. You can come with as many lines as you want. If the fishes are all not there, they're all sleeping. You won't catch any. So, I think it it is it, it can be a big smoke screen that sort of volume of call you are making. The second thing is that, I mean, we know the tactics, right? I've been doing the job. I've had colleagues next to me that actually are horrified at the idea of speaking to a prospect. So they stay on the line, literally they stay on the line with a switchboard yeah. um, on a voicemail, saying nothing on a voicemail, keeping the line open. So it looks like there is a meaningful conversation. Exactly. It's, it's call time. So you measure how long you've been on the phone. So if you tell a human being you've got to be on the phone for two hours a day, they phone the talking clock and let it ramble on for 20 minutes. And that's the thing. So that's, it's, and, and it's kind of having that conversation. So look, I've been there, mate. Look, show me your activity, but show me when you put the activity. And quite frankly, I think the honest, the honest thing with activity is that if you are part of our team and one of our managers comes to you and say, Benjamin, we need to look at your activity. That means that you are in the, you are in trouble. 
you're in trouble because basically we don't trust that you are doing the right thing. And that's bad. And, and I think that's where, again, we try to help call reluctance because I think it's it's normal for the for the new person to be a bit scared about it, to be a bit concerned, to not feel, you know, you mentioned like feeling like the authority of that person. Oh, that guy must be so important. Yeah, we're still all made of the same tissue, blood exactly. and everything, right? But a youngster, someone with 25 coming out of school, they're going to call someone with 50, has got like 30 years experience, knows things inside out. You just think that, you know, if the conversation goes, I won't be able to answer any objection. So I think there is, we need to help those individuals to feel better. But what's interesting with the CRM system and, and et cetera is that I, I think they are not designed for the BDRs. They are not designed for the SDRs. You can use some other solutions like the uh, sales automation who are a bit better. Okay, so a lack of sales love that we, 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 we like, or you've got some of those stuff like outreach and all CRM, CRM is a sticking plaster for a bigger problem. People are buy CRM in the belief that if they have a good CRM system, they'll get more leads. Yeah. It's bollocks because the person making the phone call is generating the leads. It doesn't matter what system they type their behavior into. That doesn't generate anything. So, no, so people bark and say, well, this will solve my prospecting problem. It's flash. It's got all of this, and they just say, give my giving tools to monkeys is useless unless they know how to use the tool. And, and also, they, they've not been designed for SDRs. That's, that's the reality. They are not designed. They are de- I think for, for me, I mean, and of course, they all move. Like uh, Salesforce, I'm sure is designed, and you can pay a lot of money to get it singing and dancing like the way you want. So it's the same with HubSpot, Microsoft Dynamics, and Zoho, and all the lot. But the way customer the, the CRM works is pretty much when you've got a pipeline opportunity. Is, is, is when the business is going, when you've got, the, you, the, as you mentioned, you've got that first engagement, that's when you put it in the CRM system, yeah. okay? All that prospection database, do you want to have a thousands of lines of data in your CRM system that will just age and get yeah. crap over time? You can if you want, but what's the point, okay? Exactly. What you should have is to have like a, a central intelligence database, right? Potentially a system in which your BDR-SDR works, you can get the right metrics, the right measure, a bit of call recording, a bit of artificial intelligence behind it so you can get quicker into finding what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. And then you just spit out the interesting stuff into the CRM system. So the CRM system remains clean with just the opportunities, how they are progressing, and, and more like the field sales type of things, which is, okay, I've got an opportunity. Am I closing it? Am I following the process? And then when they become a customer, how do we make sure that we follow up with them? And that's client relationship management, not... Yeah prospect relationship management. So that's, that, I 100% agree with you on that one. A last disruptive one with, uh, with Anna here, which, which uh, I think you'll, you'll have interesting views on. Uh, what do you think about incentivizing the team with time off or vouchers for doing the job they are being paid to do and get commission for? Do I think you should give them more incentives to do their job? That they're Basically, doing? they're already paid to do a job. They get commission to do the job. And then... You know, people are saying... If you can't self-motivate yourself, you're never going to be motivated anyway. So it doesn't matter what you offer. The only people that will do it would have been the people that would have done it without the offer. (laughs) That's the simple answer. If you have to motivate someone to do the job they say they want to do, then they don't want to be there. So, no, I don't think you need to offer it. It's nice maybe to reward the best, but to encourage the slackers to do work, it won't work. Because if they wanted to do it, they would be doing it. And the people that win it will be the best performers anyway. So, no, I, I think it's just um, 
Well, it's good for the best performers, just giving them a puff, but I don't think it motivates anyone to do better. It may, it could spark in a yet to bloom or blossom salesman a spark. That could happen. But I think most of the time you're just chucking good money after bad. And and so best incentive you've seen, best best way to motivate to motivate the guys to get going, would you say is money? Would you say is starvation? Recognition? Starvation. 100% commission. If you don't sell, you don't eat. Do you know how quickly people get good at selling? But would you get would you get them coming in though? Would you get the right talents coming in? Because that would be that would be the, the, the other objective. People will say, well, look, I'm I'm the good salespeople won't come to join me then because I don't pay a good basic salary. Ah, good good salespeople don't need basic salaries. Okay. I haven't had a basic salary for 10 years. I eat everything I kill. Uh, it motivates me to keep doing what I'm doing and to get better. If I was paid 45K a year, regardless of whether or not I sold, I would do a hell of a lot. No, uh, I, I think the best salespeople, now, obviously, it's a bit controversial, but most good salespeople, look, you set up a company, right? Who's paying you to set up a company? No one. Who's money yeah. using? Your own. Who's taking all the risk? I am. If it fails, you lose. You're not saying, no, 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 you've got to pay me to set up this business. Well, oh, let's begin. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I just think, I'm just thinking about our audience listening to it and say, oh, my God, yeah, this is I the world. Lower basic, higher commission. Reward people that kill. And don't reward people that don't. Because remember, 85% of people don't want to be in sales. They're there because they needed a job. So they just want to take orders. And they're hoping enough crap will filter through to them where they can take enough orders to get by. And they say serve a base. And that's, and, and actually they know this because if you meet the average owner of a business and I say, why don't you just fire your worst performers? You go, well, I can't because... You know, they do bring in business. You know, you could swap them with a bit of AI and the same amount of business would come in. The problem is, is yeah, because they, they're they order takers who manage and they know it and they know you can't fire me. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> they're good salespeople potentially, but that's not the right thing. So um, uh, we, we, we're getting to the end of, uh, of our conversation, yeah. unfortunately, but I, I want to thank you so much, Benjamin, for sharing all your insight. I mean, I love the passion. I love some of the idea you're coming with. You, you made me smile a lot today because okay. you know, it, it's disruptive, but I, I do agree with them. And I think you, you, you've, got, uh, you've got an interesting way to go about it. And, and hopefully, you know, like Anna's done, like Joe have done, is, I think it's about people using that sort of conversation that we had today. Pick a couple of nuggets from it and try to put that in, the, in their day-to-day time. That, that, sorry, in their day-to-day life. And see if that will help them to move the needle and get better success or better results potentially. And I think you've just done that today, giving us lots of fantastic example and great analogies that that hopefully will, will help people to reframe their issues and feel better about themselves. However, if anyone wants to carry on the conversation with you, what's the best way to find you? So yeah. LinkedIn, obviously, that's where I live. Or YouTube, I've got a YouTube channel, UK's Most Hated Sales Trader, and my website, UK's Most Hated Sales Trader.com. So it's all the same. But LinkedIn, uh, if you do send me a message, I'll try to respond. I get lots. I do try to respond to all of them. But you know how LinkedIn works. Messages just get pushed down. And it's very easy for me to forget or out of sight, out of mind. So um, you have to be patient or send me a reminder. I'm not being rude. I just get a lot of stuff. <laughs> I know the feeling. Well, I want you to thank you again for being part of the show today. Thanks for your insight. And let's let's reconnect soon because I think we – we could have another session speaking about more of those topics going in more depth. So thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. 
You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. 